Today, we are joined by Tori Ford, the founder and executive director of Medical Her Story. Medical Her Story is an award-winning, youth-led, international not-for-profit organization advancing gender health equity through storytelling, patient advocacy, medical education, and undoing stigma. Tori, we are so excited to have you here today. Um, and today I'll be chatting with you, Tori, alongside Melissa Nelson. Um, so I'll start with just a round of introductions. Uh, I'm Nicole Presley, the Manager of Research and Knowledge Translation at the Women's Health Research Institute. And Melissa, over to you. Thank you so much, Nicole. My name is Melissa Nelson, and I'm the Communications Coordinator here at the Women's Health Research Institute. Also, very, very excited to be here with you, Tori. Um, over to you. Awesome. Hi, everyone. So excited to be here today. Um, so as Nicole said, I'm the founder and executive executive director of Medical Her Story. Um, and then in addition to that, I'm also doing my PhD at the University of Oxford in primary health care, um, where I do a lot of work in looking at gender health equity. Which one is the side hustle? <laughs> neither, neither. Luckily, I've been able to integrate them both. So it actually has worked out um, very well, but it is a lot of hats to wear for sure. Yeah, it sounds like it. Heavy titles on both sides. <laughs> um, so we, I'd love to hear about what is, I mean, I gave the high level overview of medical her story, but um, for our listeners, what is it? What does it mean to you? Yeah. So Medical Her Story is on a mission to eliminate sexism, shame, and stigma from health experiences. Um, it was an initiative born out of lived experience um, of my own struggle of being dismissed within healthcare and not being listened to. And today it has grown exponentially. We have over 100 volunteers in seven different countries. Um, we have been able to advance gender health equity uh, through our online publication, through social media, through workshops in medical schools, through events, and of course, uh, through research, which we've been exploring more lately. Um, and it is such a powerful movement that is rooted in storytelling, that is rooted in dismantling uh, structures of sexism, racism, and ableism within healthcare, and uh, really talking about, you know, uh, how gender health equity exists and what we can do to combat it. I'm just going to say that is a tall task. How did it, so did, did you start with an N of one? I did. Yeah. I started with my own story of living with chronic yeast infections, which I now talk very openly about, and I'm happy to be the poster child of. Um, but at the time I was at McGill University doing my undergrad in gender studies um, and was living with this condition and feeling so ashamed, so embarrassed, so alone. And when I reached out to healthcare professionals and shared what is your medical history, it felt really dehumanizing to go to numerous healthcare professionals in detail, you know, that this wasn't a mundane and trivial condition. This was something that was really impacting my mental health, my sexual health, um, my sense of self in general. And I was dismissed with words like, some people get colds, some people get chronic yeast infections. I was told, you know, old wives tales of just wear some white underwear, take some time off school, or one of my favorites, just give up sex, try erotic massage instead. Um, and as a young woman, you know, exploring my sexuality, coming to terms with things, um, starting at university, this was a really difficult time. And 
I started to sort of share tidbits with people about what had been happening to me. Um, I used to work at McGill in uh, sexual violence support and after begging and begging numerous GPs for a referral, I got one to an infectious disease specialist, was so excited, Googled him right away and found pages and pages of sexual assault allegations. Uh, it was a bunch of things like that in my own experience where it felt like I was doing everything I was supposed to do. I was asking for help and I was just being hit with these sort of walls and feeling yeah. very alone. Um, and as I started telling people these tidbits, they said, you know, Tori, it sounds like fiction. You should write it. And I thought, I would rather do anything but uh, who wants to talk about your vagina publicly, who wants to talk about your vulva publicly. Um, no, thank you. Um, but I kept thinking about it and I went on to write it for myself. So I just wrote down, you know, what had been happening to me, some of the advice that kept ringing in my head. And when I finished it, I thought, you know, this is a really powerful piece and I think I should share it. Um, and I was a quite a bold teenager. I'd say I'm still quite a bold person, but I published it in our school newspaper uh, and it went on to make the front page, which was amazing. And once it was out there, uh, so, so many other people said me too, said I have similar experiences of being dismissed within healthcare, of not being listened to, of feeling shame and stigma. And thank you so much for speaking out. How can we get involved? And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I've tapped into something now and I don't have any infrastructure or ways for people to tell stories. <laughs> Um, so I pulled together some of my friends that I worked with in sexual violence support. And I said, Hey, we know how to tell stories. We know how to listen to stories and meet people where they're at and do it in a way that is trauma informed, that is uplifting, that is healing. Let's take those skills and apply it to, um, narratives. So medical her story began as a website, just full of stories about, uh, chronic illness, about eating disorders, about ovarian cancer, about abortion and birth control and everyone coming out of the woodwork, sharing stories that, often they had never publicly um, told before. Uh, and now we've taken those stories and used them in so many different ways to enact change. But yeah, it started with my story. Now we have dozens and dozens and hundreds of stories we've shared, but um, yeah, that's where it began. And, and it's still rooted in that. It's still every time I talk to people, um, I relate to them on such a personal level, which is why I think uh, our work has been so successful because I know where it's coming from and and I never meant to start a not-for-profit. I really just wanted to be heard and to be taken seriously. Um, and we've been able to do that, which is fantastic. Wow. Um, that yeah. is incredible. <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that you were dismissed in that way. And I mean, all of, all of that, especially in such a tumultuous time in your life already like being in your undergrad um I can't even imagine so thank you for sharing your story with us and with your school and your peers and now all of the people who tune into this podcast I think you've already sort of touched on this but you you do ground a lot of the work that's being done by medical her story in research um and so what does it mean for you and for the community of volunteers and for your audience to combine storytelling and personal narratives um, with evidence um, and how does it shape what you do? Definitely. So I think in the spirit of medical her story, I can share my own story with it first and then I can expand to how our team does this. But um, when I was living, well, I mean, I still do live with, but when I was suffering from chronic yeast infections, I was on Google every day. I was looking for the research. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a background in academia. I had done an undergrad. I felt like, you know, I know how to do research. Um, I couldn't find anything. I didn't find anything that was helping me. And I felt so 
alone in that and almost like, you know, why aren't there answers here? Where are the people working on it? Um, and that's when I decided that I would be that person. So I went to the University of Cambridge and did my master's on young women's experiences of chronic yeast infections, uh, rooted in storytelling. So doing a lot of qualitative um, interviews, asking people about their experience. And then uh, that was so positively received that I was encouraged to do a PhD. And that's what I'm doing now. So um, it's been really an amazing experience. And I know without Medical Her Story, I wouldn't have felt confident to go into the research field and to say, you know, I'm a lived experience researcher. I'm a patient researcher. I'm a patient first, of course, um, but I am equipped to do this work. And if no one else is finding the answers, why can't I? And I think that's really informed the way Medical Her Story also does our work. Um, so when we sort of stumbled upon okay, what is going on here? Why is it that people from all across the world with so many different health systems are feeling the same when they're feminine presenting? Um, and what we uncovered was really this aspect of you know, gender health inequity, which boils down to the trust gap. Um, if you haven't heard that before, the trust gap basically is um, the phenomenon that women and gender diverse people are more likely to be dismissed within healthcare or seen as overly emotional or dramatic or untrustworthy. But then it comes up against this other gap, which is the research gap, which is basically that people that are assigned female at birth, um, conditions that affect them differently or disproportionately are chronically underfunded and under-researched. Um, in the UK, less than 2% of public funds go towards supporting women's health, um, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and that is a gap that means that when healthcare providers go to help patients, they're really limited because they simply don't have the answers. If you don't have the answer, and then maybe you don't trust your patient, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, so we try to tackle the problem from both ways and research has really underscored how we do that. Uh, so we do a lot of health literacy campaigns, especially on social media, talking about conditions uh, like endometriosis or PCOS or other conditions that affect people with vulvas and vaginas to raise awareness about them, let people know what to look for, um, but then also giving people tools and resources, um, you know, how to advocate for themselves, uh, how to go up against structures of oppression, so, um, yeah, and then we also do things like our Feminist Health Research Conference every year, which is not your traditional research conference because lived experience is seen as just as valuable as any degree um, in our space. So you'll have panels where you have people with, um, we had a panel last year on uh, addressing medical harm, which, you know, we know it is, yes, how do you come back from it? How do you address it? Um, and then that was fantastic to have policymakers, healthcare professionals, researchers, and patients um, engaging in that conversation. And uh, I think, you know, there's always that tension there between, um, research, having numbers to back up what you're saying, and also valuing um, the power of a single story. And I think we've found different ways to do that. Um, so maybe a long-winded explanation, but definitely uh, research comes up in so many aspects of what we do, but it's never seen as above or beyond um, storytelling. It's just different expertise. You're an expert by experience or you're an expert um, by research, and they're both equally valid. We had, um, to, to your point about patient partners and and lived experience it's it's great and I think I think conferences like that there is th there's more I, I think a culture shift is happening with um, patient partners being invited and, and being seen as as equal partners in evidence production um, and the, you know the principle around like even our own local BC support unit that fosters patient-oriented research around 
like nothing about us without us. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a we had a, a presentation a few weeks ago where one of our scientific advisors presented and she used the term lived expertise. And I thought, oh, that is something I'm going to carry forward because it's not just it is you lived that experience, but because of that, ex- and because of that experience, you can carry that expertise with you. Um, I just thought that was a nice little <laughs> pearl. Definitely, so, Tori. I guess w- what I'm really curious about too is so. So I mean, there's I, I have a million and a half questions to ask you around, you know, storytelling in general, and and how you. How do you distill these complex, you know, layered, stigmatized health topics into, you know, digestible formats? As a as a KT person, you know, we have sort of different strategies that match certain goals, um, but I'm not sure that they all factor in, you know, to your point, like ableism, racism. Um, yeah, and, and even the youth aspect as well of, of a different generation. Um, yeah, how do you how do you folks sort of decide on on what your what your products look like or your your yeah your health information looks like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think something medical her story really embraces is that messiness of (laughs) our name is a play on the term of a medical history. It was what could we do if a medical history wasn't sterile, wasn't a 10 minute impersonal encounter where you have to do a lot of emotional labor and kind of watches your name, age prognosis is just scrawled on a piece of paper and you're sent home to live with that. Medical her story is about embracing that our stories are ongoing, they're lived, they're raw. Like you said, they're complicated and they're going to be messy. And I think it's not shying away from that. Um, and that's something that in our published first person narratives, you see a lot of, um, and in the way that we edit those and that we encourage people to share their stories, it's really embraced. Um, and then when we want to make sort of health information, when we want to sort of meet people where they're at, um, really the way I see it is that we're just opening up the conversation. And often, you know, the, if we're posting about a topic um, around, you know, fertility, around birth control, um, around this week, we're doing a lot around mental health. Um, we see often in the comments that people will bring in, you know, their nuance and their narratives and continue with those um, conversations. But uh, I think the way that we approach information is by making it accessible and not necessarily digestible. So presenting people with information in plain language, um, but inclusive language uh, and normalizing that. And then also something that's uh, very subtle on medical her story, but has been so important are our visuals. So when you go to our website, it is such an inviting space. It's very colorful. There's a lot of movement. We do gifts. Um, and that art piece is really special because actually every piece is commissioned and designed by um, the author in collaboration with the graphic designer. So we say, you know, what images came up for you, what um, was strong for you, and then we work with them until there's something that represents their experience because there's nothing worse than sort of those tropes around, you know, women's with their legs crossed and they're crying and you know like yes we get it these stories are sad and they're heavy but we're also people and that's often not the imagery that's going to stick up the most to you um when I think about my own story about kind of yeast infections there's this terrible wonderful whatever you want to call it sign that was above 
the table I would lie down on when I began pelvic examinations. And it was this little stick woman and it said, just relax, dot, dot, dot. And I thought, this is such a moment that sticks with me, but it's not the one that would be displayed, you know, when people are publishing uh, my story. And unfortunately, when uh, my story did come out in the student newspaper, there was a great big picture of uh, fruits and uh, papayas, and I'm not sure what, but it definitely wasn't my body. And it definitely was something that reinforced that stigmatization. And I think that's something that when you're presenting health information, being very mindful of, our bodies are not fruits and flowers, um, their bodies, they're messy, they're complicated, and they really don't need to be sanitized or animated in those ways. Uh, so that's something we're really mindful of. Uh, and with our stories comes through, but also on social media, the, we're very mindful of um, every aspect of our design, even though when you go to it, our media team is fantastic. Um, it's just beautiful information. Um, but when you dig into the posts, they're not only well researched, but they're really presented in a way that uh, works against that stigma and pushes back against the narratives in ways that people probably don't recognize, um, which is what we're hoping. We just want that to be to be the norm, which is the the goal. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> I've I've never heard of a team actually connecting the authors of the of of their stories with somebody who can actually bring them to life and and in that kind of way. I mean, that's incredible. And now I'm going to have to go and create all of your social media again and your website and really take note of all of that. And that image of the stick figure, I mean, I can't, the fruits and the stick figures and the legs crossed and the just cut out bellies on pregnant people. I mean, there's so much room for improvement and collaboration. Yeah. So I, I hope that people listening to this really take that to heart and think about ways that they might integrate that type of um, process into their knowledge translation work and into their storytelling. You you mentioned the comments on on your posts and the kind of engagement that you get there. And one thing that I'm really curious about is just what the reception has been from from all of the different audiences that you mentioned at your conference, and also, yeah, the the even the volunteers that you work with. Like, what kind of things come up for them in doing this work? Yeah, definitely. I think nobody's reaction has been what I thought it would be. Um, when I published the piece, I woke up the morning, I knew it was going out. And I thought to myself, you've made the biggest mistake ever. Everyone's going to see it and just say, ooh, gross. And like, you've just done that to yourself. Um, so luckily, they've been pleasant surprises so far when people said, you know, thank you so much. And people that I'd been, you know, in classrooms with for years, and we live with the same condition and being able to connect over that was so beautiful. Um but I, there was a lot of things I knew I wanted to do with medical her story that I wasn't brave enough to do until we had a team that was braver than me. Um, and one of those things was taking our stories into medical schools. Um, so because of my experience with healthcare professionals, because of all of that, um, I think I had good reason to be hesitant about whether people would care, whether it would be influential, um, and whether it was worth our time. Um, but the first workshop we did with medical schools was so transformative. Um, we heard from healthcare students saying how much they really want this information. They want to be able to provide their further patients. They know that sexism, racism, transphobia, all of those structures of oppression influence them and they want to do better. And seeing that was so humbling. And uh, our first um, workshop as well had a lot of healthcare professionals who said, you know, I've been in my practice for 10, 15 years, and this has never been a conversation. Thank you for starting it. 
Um, so that was encouraging. And now we've taught over 15 workshops. We've reached hundreds of medical students. We've been able to train um, the top levels of the um, IFMSA, which is the International Federation for Medical Students. Um, we've been able to have UN women come and see our workshops. We've been able to really expand it in ways that has been so fulfilling. And the workshop is rooted in lived experience. Uh, it asks medical students to read our stories, to think about them, to think about how they would respond differently, to think about what structures are at play. And then what's so cool about Medical Her Story is you then learn that the facilitators who are teaching you this, you're reading their stories. They're not patient X in a textbook who never really existed. They're living, breathing people who are here and who are bravely sharing their stories with you. So that's something that's been fantastic and really well received. And then I think the other thing that we get a lot of questions about is just the stigma part of it. You know, how are you going to get people to come and talk about it? And if you'd asked me that at the start, I probably would have had doubts too. Um, but Medical Her Story grew because people were saying again and again, I want to talk about this and I want to get involved. How can I do that? And that's why we've grown um, at the rate that we have. And I think I'm always surprised by how much young people are ready to have these conversations, are ready to talk about their bodies in really outspoken ways and really creative ways. Um, so yeah, we've had really positive reactions every now and then again, you're going to, of course, have people that have pushed back who will say, you know, I'm a woman, I'm X years old and I've never faced sexism. I don't think this is a problem. Uh, and, you know, I think our team is really well-trained and really sensitive to those people, um, who may, you know, not necessarily believe in these structures and, uh, who may have pushed back, but, one of our approaches that has been really successful, I think, with health professionals too, is driving home the message that this isn't an us versus them. This isn't a story about all powerful doctors and helpless patients. None of those narratives are true. Sexism is really about structures of oppression that affect everyone and are bad for everyone and that we all need to work together to dismantle. And I think in doing that in the ways that we talk about these issues and um, the ways that we present our workshops and that we engage uh, different populations has been really successful and something that I'm really proud of and that we're continually reflecting on and thinking about because a lot of the issues with gender health equity are rooted in stereotypes, are rooted in misunderstandings and miscommunications. So as much as we can break those down, um, we can connect with different audiences and hopefully, you know, empower and educate and bring together to, to do better. That is so powerful. And I mean, the fact that you're linking these I mean first and foremost wow for creating such like to your point a trauma-informed space a safe space which is hard to do and I mean a lot of the conversations we've been having with our own um, expert in trauma-informed research is like it's, it's hard to actually say this is a safe space because you can't guarantee it um, you you can't control all environments so the fact that you've created one where people feel comfortable um, sharing these um, their their stories is just is just fantastic, Tori. You're um, what a great team, um, and and I echo Melissa's comments. Your the the website I just found it so inviting. The you know, I've never usually women's health topics or anything around <laughs> sexual health. You don't see like a jellyfish and vibrant colors poking around. So. Um, yeah, I found it really inviting. The 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 actual like like operating. I, I'm curious about how you got into the space of educating clinicians. Um, 
and the reason I ask is, you know, one of the one of the KT strategies that that we usually, you know, consider depending on where the evidence is, is that like where does it fit within medical education? What are the responsibilities of, um, yeah, of our academic partners to really integrate some of this training into, you know, not just you know not just medical education, but also um, different disciplines in allied health, like nursing, occupational therapy, physical therapy. Um, so I guess, how did you, you know, did you knock on doors or did you get invited? How did, how did mm-hmm. you end up there? Yeah, that goes back to our amazing team. So <laughs> um, a lot of people that joined early on were medical students and they mm. said, you know, they had such intimate knowledge of knowing what was and wasn't covered at their own institution and wanting to bring it there and bring what medical history was doing internally to a more public audience. Um, So that was really wonderful and really word of mouth in terms of people saying, you know, I'm at this institution or I have a brother or a cousin or somebody here um, and getting invited. Uh, So we taught at like Karolinska in Sweden because one of our volunteers was doing medical school there. Um, We've done some, teaching for for nursing students. We just did one for the Museum of Anesthesiology, which was fantastic. Uh, We got invited to do that in London, um, which was lots of fun. So uh, yeah, and we've done some teaching in classrooms too at McGill um, from professors that um, I worked with that stayed in touch with me and were interested. So uh, we're still, you know, always working on strategy in terms of reach and and all of that. But um, really, I think the way medical history operates is just what people want, we'll meet them there and we'll provide the best we can. Um, and then thinking about, yeah, our messages and just making sure that the content we're providing is, is clear and concise and approachable um, and then happy to provide it for whoever wants it. And a lot of the spaces we've taught and we've been invited back year after year for the new cohorts, which has been really great to see. Um, and recently we have been trying to work more systemically as well. Um, we've been in touch with the University of Cambridge, who's been interested in doing some sort of audit on their medical school um, education. So that's another avenue we're going to be exploring soon. Um, but yeah. So is your is your sort of it, it sounds like it's yeah, as as people reach out, meet them where they are. Um I guess one of the considerations that that we've discussed as well is around sustainability of information and also updating existing information. So what what role does your team play with respect to, you know, evidence evolves, we know how many publications come through each day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you, do you guys have sort of a purview of this is what we're going to focus on um, as it aligns with patient stories? Yeah, so our workshop starts out, uh, it's very interactive. It starts out with some uh, trivia about gender health and equity throughout history. Mm. So in that case, you know, we're always starting with what has been going on. You can't talk about, you know, women's health without talking about the history of hysteria. You can't talk about it without talking about the abuse of black and brown women. Those are things that have to be laid out at the start. Um, And then when we move into talking about modern day um, examples, there's such rich evidence of how gender health inequity exists. Um, And of course, we're always updating it. So I remember um, one of my favorite papers is by Emily Martin. I'm sure you're familiar with it, The Egg and the Sperm, which basically details how uh, medical textbooks 
prescribed personalities onto the egg and the sperm where the sperm is, you know, he's strong, he's going to find the egg, he's the, the hero of the story and, and the winner at the end of the day. And that the egg is, you know, damsel in distress, she's just waiting and chilling there. Uh, and if a man shows up, wonderful. Um, and we would talk about that example because it's a great one for medical students and it's very illustrative. Um, it's a bit funny. So we do that. And then um, we would talk about how damaging it is when we talk about you know science and medicine as if they're untouched by these social realities and this is a great example of how you know the science was doing that but a paper came out um not long ago that described the ways in which the egg actually works where it actually has you know the sperm sort of line up around it and it reaches out and engulfs one of them and this was groundbreaking for science and then we went back and said wow not only is this example of the sperm and the egg a great example of how gender health inequity reenacts stereotypes, it's also an example of how gender health inequity leads to bad science and how it leads to science that is wrong and how it prevents us from thinking about and looking at the answers that are right in front of us. Um, so things like that have been really wonderful to sort of see in the news. Um, there's been so much work recently with some of uh, amazing people we've worked with around, you know, discovering how many nerve endings are on the clitoris. Um, I didn't know that the original study was on cows. That's definitely going in our trivia. Um, so things like that we're always keeping up to date on um, and really interested in. And as someone who works in research myself, um, always really, really interested in what our, our peers are doing and what they're finding, because I think Although it's slow, more and more people are starting to realize that, you know, these issues are worth being taken seriously. So it's always exciting to wake up and see something, uh, especially when it makes the news. That's always the best day. <laughs> it's so interesting to hear you talk about all of these different perspectives, like that touch on every part of your work. Even um, I, I did read um, that Emily Martin paper in a course that was from science and technology studies. So even thinking about like the interdisciplinarity of literally everything that you're doing, like I'm just in awe, <laughs> everything that you're saying. And I, and I heard you speak, um, I think it was in 2019 at our World Sexual Health Day uh, <laughs> speed presentations. Yeah. And then too, it was just it's so evident and and when you speak how passionate you are and how those experiences have really yeah shaped shaped medical her story into just this inviting um collaborative positive space for people to explore those experiences with the medical system and yeah it's just incredible listening to you speak Thank you. I think that's something that I think I'm always mindful of is the work we do is heavy. The work we do is difficult. These stories are not light, um, but I think that we can talk about them in a way that makes it normalized, that makes talking about the hurt and the pain not so hard and heavy. And I'm always really happy to sort of lead by example in doing that, that, you know, it, it'd be easy to sort of be sad and depressed about the state of the world which is you know going on but what's wonderful about medical history is every meeting we have there is such a buzz in the room there is such a, a, a longing to do more there's such excitement around possibility and I think you know having met a lot of people in the not-for-profit space we're just so fortunate that I don't think we've become jaded by you know how difficult this is and I think that's because in our community 
every day we get to hear from somebody about how much it's impacted them. You know, last week, um, somebody's mom started menopause and they went to Medical Her Stories Instagram and the first post was on menopause. And they said, I've never felt so seen. You know, it's about people who say, um, you know, I um, want to go on birth control. I was so confused. I went to Medical Her Stories Instagram and I read a post about it. You know, I shared it with a friend. I started a conversation uh, or hearing from med students, you know, uh, who've come back to us or, or a lot of our volunteers have actually become medical students now, which has been amazing to see. And they said, hey, mention Medical Her Story in the classroom today because they sexism was not being discussed as it should have been. And, you know, so, um, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And I think the passion comes from being surrounded by such a wonderful team of people that uh, allow us to to sit in that heaviness, but then really find the the pockets of optimism. And like Nicole said, to start eliminating sexism, shame, and stigma is a tall task. But when you have those little glimpses of hope and encouragement, uh, it makes it a lot easier for sure. Yeah, and I mean, what you're doing is, I mean, there's there's these like tangible outputs to what you're doing mm -hmm. by delivering these, you know, delivering education and posting and profiling these stories and health topics that have been stigmatized. But but it feels like at the roots, this is like a real culture shift. And sometimes culture change can be tough to measure. Um, so, you know, the fact that this, you're sort of seeing that feedback loop with people that have volunteered with you and who, you know, you, you've got these champions now that are, well, yeah, you've created like empowerment within patient groups, but also empowerment and champions within like, I guess all aspects of the health system. If you've got like medical students and patients that you're empowering as champions, it's, it really is phenomenal, Tori. And, and medical schools asking for help with audit programs. Yeah. I mean, that in itself is just what an achievement and yeah. Yeah. I have, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, social media, you've got, um, you've had some good feedback from people saying, you know, thank you for this, this, I feel seen and validated the, and, and you mentioned, you know, you do have people who have different perspectives and whether or not they, they sort of, um, yeah, agree with these structures and that they exist, but how how do you or do you do you um, get any sort of adversarial feedback on your social media accounts, especially given the topic areas? Mm. Um, I'd say there's like two types of critical feedback we get. One from people that we actually learn from every day, mm -hmm. um, where you know I remember we did uh, a post on. Um, voluntary childlessness. So people who choose to not have children and somebody in the comments wrote, Hey, actually um, I prefer the term being child-free. You know, it's not a loss. It's not any less. And I thought, wow, that's so beautiful. We're switching our language. And I think, you know, that feedback we welcome so much um, as much as we have a lot of lived experience on our team, you know, we don't cover every area. So when people can bring their lived experience, that's so valuable. Um, the type of you know, harsh feedback that we don't engage with um, is that that, you know, tries to recenter um, cis women's in conversations that isn't about them or doesn't need to be about them or people that are espousing views that are oppressive or damaging. Um, as much as we, you know, try to 
engage with that in terms of doing our best. It's never something we will apologize for um, in terms of being gender inclusive, in terms of being leading the charge in that. Um, and I think that's something that, yeah, we don't apologize for and we try to not give attention to. And it's unfortunate that that's still in the space, but um, that just comes along with social media. And we're lucky that our community has been so supportive that that's such a minority. Um, and it's usually one of our posts, uh, you know, sort of goes a bit more viral and makes it outside of our community that we're reminded that, you know, um, there's so, so much work to do there. And there's so many people that still um, don't fully understand these issues and need to be uh, brought into these communities. But yeah, definitely we've seen that. And I think any account that's dealing with difficult topics uh, is going to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. I appreciate that you see the opportunity in, in all of these things. Like even just now, it's it's a good reminder that there's still more work to do. <laughs> yeah, I think my team would say that's probably one of my strengths. If, if anything goes wrong, I'm like, what a learning opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We find our own ways to be resilient, though, that I think resiliency is a term that needs to be unpacked as well. So, <laughs> so I mean, I, I think for we've learned, Melissa and I have learned so much today. And I think we're trying not to just pepper you with more questions. I'm trying to think about our audience. So at, at the, the Women's Health Research Institute, you know, we have trainee members, we have researchers at all sort of stages of their career. There's staff. Um, so the folks that are actually like conducting research and who are in the space that both Melissa and I are in as sort of knowledge translation, scientific communicators. What would you say to us? You know, what what messages would you want to share with us, you know, this, this small organization? Well, we have almost 500 members. We're in Vancouver. We, you know, it, yeah. Do you have any, any takeaways for, for our community that you'd like yeah. to share? Um, I mean, I think the organi organization does really fantastic work and it's something that I'm really happy to be involved with. Um, but I think, sort of my general takeaways are really about centering storytelling in your work, no matter whether that's coming from a clinical perspective or a research perspective or a community worker perspective. Um, everything's about storytelling. You know, you think about the clinical encounter, that's a patient trying to put their experience into words. It's a healthcare professional trying to understand that statement and act upon it. But that communication can often break down due to gender health inequity, due to sexism, due to stereotypes, due to all of those structures we've been talking about today. And when you can take a step back and enact what at Medical Her Story we call, you know, feminist listening and telling of stories, um, you're able to sort of hear not only the words that are being said, but all of the structures and sort of layers that are beneath them. So I think if you're not already centering lived experience or lived expertise um, in your work, I think that's something I highly, highly encourage um, at every levels of working within or tangentially to healthcare. And I think that um, Medical Her Story has also been really 
exploring these areas more um, in terms of we've had many studies coming out of the University of Oxford um, and across the UK that we've been helping recruit participants for. So people that want to get lived experience, that want to have diversity in their samples, but don't really know where to find them. We've recruited for studies on experiences of long COVID, uh, people trying to self-advocate, um, and that's been really fulfilling. And of course, for my own study, um, which is on recurrent thrush or chronic yeast infections. Um, and we've seen such positive responses there and people are so willing to be engaged in research. Um, we've also helped organizations with uh, what in the UK we call PPI, patient and public representatives, um, which is foundational. So having you know, on your advisory panel, people that have lived experience, whether they are patients, whether they're carers, whether they're family, um, has been really amazing to be able to facilitate. And then of course, I think, dissemination is something we really uh, have been exploring more. So we're going to be launching actually a two-week campaign uh, all about HIV and breastfeeding because one of my colleagues at Oxford has produced an amazing study and online resource um, for new parents about this topic and finding creative outlets to get your message out there. Um, I know within research and academia, it can feel like there's sort of one status quo and way that you need to do it um, through academic papers, through, you know, your conferences, but really thinking beyond that, thinking about community groups and being able to engage with people is so amazing. Um, and you have, you know, you don't have to wait. I can't even think about how long publications take nowadays, um, but instead of, you know, waiting years for people to see your work, getting it out instantly and being able to communicate and get that feedback is so, so powerful. So um those are some of my, you know, tips, but also some of the ways medical her story can really help if that's a space you're more unfamiliar with, or if it's something you're really passionate about and want to take to another level. Um, we're always really happy to help support, uh, yeah, researchers, trainees in that area, or if you want to bring a workshop to an area um, that you're working in. But anything like that, I think really valuing lived experience, uh, valuing storytelling, and sort of valuing also the messiness of our lives is um, probably some of my my key takeaways. And also if you have a story to share that your story matters, that's always one of Medical Her Story's take-homes. Validation. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Tori. It's, and yeah, these are great messages for, for our audience and also reinforcing, I think, especially for the academic community, that messiness is sometimes tough to sit in. Yeah. <laughs> it can be a challenge. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. you're very protocol driven. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much, Tori. Like, can we have you back? Or can we yeah, or, yeah, and feel free to, you know, anyone from your team? Oh, we just, yeah, love to like continue the conversation. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, I'm in awe of my team every day. They, <laughs> yeah, are absolutely amazing. Um, so if you like me, you'll love them. That's guaranteed. But this is really fantastic. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. We'll make sure that we list um, the link to Medical Her Story and all of your social media in the show notes so that everybody can check it out. So thank you again. If you have an idea for an episode or have some research of your own to share, let us know. Send us an email at whri.communications at cw.bc.ca. For more information about WHRI, follow us on social media using the handle at women's research or check out our website at whri.org.